Welcome. You're listening to Living Faith Podcast. Starry sky and see your hand in time and mind to lead me through the night. Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico after Irma had hit it just prior and left one million without power. After Hurricane Maria, the entire island was without power. Dropped 30 inches of rain on Puerto Rico. More than 80% of the island today is still without power. One in three still don't have drinking water in Puerto Rico. Two weeks ago today, a 64-year-old gunman unleashed a barrage of gunfire on the Route 91 Harvest Music Festival in Las Vegas, killing 58, wounding hundreds. Just 10 days ago, Wednesday, October 4th, right here in Everett, a 13-year-old wannabe gang member who called himself Lil Shooter pointed a gun at Mariner High freshman David Sandoval and shot him in the chest and took his life. David was just 14 years old. The young killer didn't like the color of David's blue shoes. As of today, Northern California wildfires have destroyed 160,000 acres, almost 6,000 homes and businesses, and claimed the lives of 40 people. 74 people are still missing. From our perspective and our area, our realm of knowledge, it's been a very bad number of weeks. And in the middle of that ongoing madness, in faith groups this week, we began to study from this book, Pursuing Holiness. And those who were in our faith groups this week received the book and have hopefully already started reading chapter 1. On page 1 of chapter 1, the first verse that opens this study says this in Hebrews 12 and 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Pursue peace with all people. Peace. Freedom from disturbance. Quiet and tranquility. Calm. Restfulness. Peace. Hurricanes. And earthquakes, shootings, and wildfires, escalating arguments, but peace. I, I don't know about you, but I'm caused to pose the question, how in this world are we to pursue peace with all men when our environment screams distress and agitation and disaster and warfare. I, I don't know about you, but my tendency when I read that passage is to say, pursue peace? Seriously? 
But yet there the scripture is. Pursue peace with all people. It seems that ours is an environment that is not conducive to peace. Rather, we have an environment that lends itself to suspicion and to protection and to contradiction. Rather than pursuing peace in the world we live in, it seems easier to more sensible even to pursue isolation. Come on, look at the people around us. Instead of conversation, let's wear headphones and keep our heads down, staring at the sidewalks or the chair in front of us. Instead of human interaction, let's order in drive-throughs or buy apps that remove conversation altogether. Human interaction, who really needs it? Workplace interaction more and more is being reduced as we depend on automation. Business interaction diminishes as we turn our aim toward e-business and website commerce. Face-to-face conversations dwindle as we rely more and more on text messages and social media. Can I remind us this afternoon, it's tough to pursue peace with men as we seemingly pursue isolation from men. The disintegration of Jake's life took him by surprise. It happened early in his junior year of high school. He was taking three advanced placement classes running on his school's cross-country team and traveling to model United Nations conferences. It was a lot to handle. But Jake, he was a likable, hard-working, oldest sibling in his suburban North Carolina family. He was that kind of teenager who, who handled things. Though he wasn't prone to boastfulness, the fact was he never really failed at anything. Not coincidentally, failure was one of Jake's biggest fears. He worried about it privately. Maybe he couldn't keep up with his peers. Maybe he wouldn't succeed in life. And the relentless drive to avoid failure seemed to come from deep inside him, and mostly Jake considered it a strength. And Jake's parents, they knew good and well he was high strung. In middle school, they sent Jake to a therapist because he was too scared to sleep in his own room. But nothing prepared them for the day two years ago when Jake at 17, seemingly ran 150 miles an hour into a brick wall, his mother said. At 17, he refused to go to school. He curled up in a fetal position on the floor and hollered out, I just can't take it. You just don't understand. Jake was right. His parents didn't understand, and and Jake really didn't understand either. He says, all of a sudden, I couldn't do anything. I was so afraid. 
His stomach hurt. He had migraines. He explains, you know how a person might have their stomach a little upset when they walk in a classroom and there's a pop quiz? He said, well, I basically started having that feeling all the time. Jake's parents were alarmed. They sent him to the primary care physician who prescribed Prozac, antidepressant often given to anxious teens. It was the first of many medications that Jake would try in the next year. But none seemed to work. Some even made matters worse. A few weeks later, Jake locked himself in a bathroom at home and tried to drown himself in the bathtub. He was hospitalized for four days. Soon after he returned home, he started hiding out in his room once again. He cried and he slept. He argued with his parents about going to school and he mindlessly surfed the internet on his cell phone. And then the more school he missed, the more anxious he felt about missing school. And the more anxious he felt, the more hopeless and depressed Jake became. That summer, after two more hospitalizations, Jake's desperate parents sent him to a residential treatment facility in New Hampshire at an expense of $910 per day. That program is one of a growing number of programs for acutely anxious teenagers. Over the last decade, anxiety has overtaken depression as the most common reason college students seek counseling services. The American College Health Association found that 62% of undergraduates report overwhelming anxiety in the previous year. Anxiety, a feeling of uneasiness and worry, it's usually generalized, it's unfocused, and it's an overreaction to a situation that is only subjectively seen as menacing. Uh, anxiety is not the same as fear. Fear is a response to a real or perceived immediate threat. Anxiety is the expectation of a future threat. Some describe anxiety like this, the overestimation of danger and the underestimation of our ability to handle it. Anxiety can be appropriate, but when experienced regularly, the individual may suffer from a disorder. You know, anxiety is now the most common mental health disorder in the United States affecting nearly one out of three adolescents and adults. Peace. Personal peace. It's incredibly elusive and more and more it's missing in people's lives. Which causes... One to wonder, is there peace for me? In the middle of a culture of conflict and anxiety and worry and stress, can I find peace? 
And if so, where can I find it? Quiet and tranquility, calm and restfulness. Is there peace for me? In pursuit of that peace, there are some who try to quell their anxiety through possessions. You know, new pants or a, a new purse will somehow supposed to supplant the uneasiness that's inside. But time and time again, purchasers discover possessions don't provide peace. Others pursue a position as the balm that would cure their anxious infection. However, new jobs and bigger checks nor more responsibility bring the peace that humans seek and need. Some pursue perfection as their peaceful sort. We're told and begin to think, you know, if our bodily proportions were just different. If we were more toned or more tanned, if our proportions were larger or smaller or at least redistributed, if our appearance could mimic those on the cover of magazine glossies, and yet peace doesn't dwell in perfection. Some thinking perhaps peace could be found in people. And if we would gather ourselves to the right people, the right crowd, the, the right mix of the jolly and the fun and the uplifting, surely peace would be in the middle of that crowd or not. As the most addicted people pleasers have discovered, peace is not in people. Is there peace for me? In the middle of a culture of conflict and anxiety, can I find peace in my life? And if so, where might I find it? A biblical understanding of peace begins with the Hebrew expression, Shalom. It's a word very rich in meaning. In the English language, when we think of peace, we think the things that are not peace. When I think of peace, I think, well, that means no conflict. It means no confusion, no struggle. But shalom, the, the Hebrew word and root for peace, is a positive thing. It brings upon it certain qualities and benefits. For instance, shalom would impress one with completeness and soundness, and wellness. And so when the Hebrews would greet one another, or saying hello or goodbye, with shalom, wishing peace on one another, they're not just saying, I don't want you to have conflict in your life. Instead, they are saying that you would be complete. I am wishing that you would be whole. I am prayerful for you that you would be well. As one man explained, shalom means everything which makes for our highest good. And it's in that sense that the Hebrews would use that all-purpose greeting and farewell. Shalom, meaning completeness and soundness and wellness and everything that makes 
for our highest good. Peace as found in the Old Testament. And I, I preach today for us to know that shalom in the Old Testament was more than just a concept. But from the time of old, there was anticipation that peace would become more than a concept and instead be a person. In the Jewish Encyclopedia, it says this, among the blessings that Israel looked forward to in messianic times, the blessing of peace stands forth most prominently. You can find it all through the New Old Testament, but I won't read all of the Old Testament this afternoon. But we will go to a familiar passage in Isaiah 9 and verse 6. The validation of pursuing peace is clear. The Messianic prophet, the great Isaiah in 9 and 6, penned these words to you and I. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And in verse 7 it elaborates, and the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. When the prophet wrote down peace, when the prophet referred to shalom, he was talking about completeness. He was talking about soundness. He was talking about wellness. He was talking about everything that makes for the human's greatest good. You see, more than a concept, Israel was looking for peace in a person and looking for the prince of peace. The Bible says of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end as a servant of God, as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a part of us that likes that idea. Israel embraced the idea of a government that would increase. Its influence, its dominion would spread out. Its power and authority would go into further lands and further dimensions. And that's an exciting thing. But can you understand with me that it's not only the influence of the government, but it's the influence of peace. It's the influence of completeness. It's the influence of wholeness. It's the influence of everything that humanity was designed to be. And of that increase, there would be no end. Messiah is bringing an ever-increasing peace to humanity. And when that promised child was born, Angels gave this witness in Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse number 10. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe 
wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. As the angelic choir busted out upon the scene, there was one angel making an announcement, but the rest of the heavenly host couldn't hold themselves back. And they displayed in the heavens and professed to all that would hear peace toward men. There's completeness that's coming now. There is soundness that is coming now. There is wellness that is coming now. Everything that makes for man's highest good is now on the scene. In Jesus' own words, as His ministry blossomed and went forth, in John 14 and 27, Jesus said it very plainly, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The peace which this world offers is a peace of escape. It's a peace that comes from avoidance of trouble. It's a peace from refusing to face things. It's the kind of peace that poor teenage Jake sought when he buried himself in his bedroom afraid of his classmates. It's a destructive and only human peace when men and women hide themselves from the interaction of others and the engagement particularly of God's people. But the peace that Jesus offers is internal peace. It is calmness and confidence in Him. Later on in the next couple of chapters, Jesus explained his peace like this. In John 16 and 33, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. You see, when you and I, as ordinary humans, start thinking about peace, we think, stop the turmoil around me. When we start thinking about peace, we start thinking, stop the hurricane, stop the earthquakes, stop the senseless murder, stop the horrendous conflict, stop the suffering of those around us, and there's nothing wrong with those prayers. But I preach today that when Jesus speaks peace, he declares first and foremost, I want to stop the turmoil that's inside of you. I want to bring calmness to your soul. I want to bring satisfaction to the inner man. I want to settle things down on the inside. There's no experience of life more powerful than the 
peace of Jesus Christ. No sorrow in this world can overcome that peace. No danger of this society can overwhelm that peace. No suffering in humanity can ever reduce that peace. Jesus' peace is independent of external circumstances. Peace toward man, completeness, wholeness, soundness, wellness, everything that makes for our highest good. Hear me today, that's the kind of peace that was prophesied in the Old Testament. That's the kind of peace that's embodied in the Prince of Peace. That's the kind of peace that's delivered to humanity in Christ Jesus. Oh, if you understand and believe that, would you just raise your hands right now? Would you just begin to talk to the Lord in this house right now? Would you thank Him for His wholeness? Would you thank Him for His completeness? Come on, take some moments, men and women all over this house. There's a reason my soul is at rest today. There's a reason we're not disturbed in a disturbing world. There's a reason our spirits aren't fragmented in a fragmented world. We have the peace of Almighty God inside. It was a hot, hot August day in West Bend, Wisconsin. The year was 1889. Warren Cornell was seated on a, on a rough-hewn slab, a plank of a wooden bench, sat there under a tent. He'd been attending a camp meeting. Camp meeting is an old-fashioned series of services held outdoors, most likely in a farmer's field somewhere. Tents were often employed to accommodate more people than they could fit in to the local church building. And there, 1889, a hot August day in Wisconsin, sheltered under that tent, Warren Cornell found himself caught up in some deep prayer. course of the meeting had worked over Warren's soul. And on a jagged church bench, he's praying and reflecting and contemplating the things of God. And in those holy moments, Warren was compelled to write. 
in that compulsion, he started looking around for a piece of paper and he, he saw an advertisement for the very camp meeting he attended and he, he picked up that advertisement, turned it to its blank side and with pencil in hand, he started writing on the back of that flyer. And heavenly thoughts became human words. And these are the verses that poured out of Warren Cornell's prayerful spirit. Far away in the depths of my spirit tonight rolls a melody sweeter than psalm. Its celestial-like strains, it unceasingly falls over my soul like an infinite calm. Peace, peace. Wonderful peace. Coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit forever, I pray in fathomless billows of love. What a treasure I have in this wonderful peace, buried deep in the heart of my soul, so secure that no power can mine it away while the years of eternity roll. Peace, peace, wonderful Peace, coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit forever, I pray, in fathomless billows of love. He went on, I am resting tonight in this wonderful peace. Resting sweetly in Jesus' control. For I'm kept from all danger by night and by day. And His glory is flooding my soul. Peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit forever, I pray, in fathomless billows of love. Ah, soul. Are you here without comfort and rest, marching down the rough pathway of time? Make Jesus your friend, ere the shadows grow dark. Oh, accept this sweet peace so sublime. Peace, peace, wonderful Coming down from the Father above, sweep over my spirit forever, I pray, in fathomless billows of love. Warren Cornell saw in his spiritual eye what the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah saw long ago. Warren Cornell sitting on a wooden bench in a turn-of-the-century tent 
in a field in Wisconsin, uh, got an understanding in his mind of what that angelic choir realized when the babe Christ Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Warren clearly heard the words of Christ Jesus Himself in John 14, 27, where Jesus declared to disciples then and disciples now, Peace! I leave with you my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. Peace I give to you. Earlier in this message, I questioned. Pursue peace? Seriously? If our eyes are only on our environment, pursue peace? Seriously? Three words, two question marks. But if we change the punctuation for the same three words, take out the question marks and just place a period at the end. Pursue peace seriously. Pursue peace seriously. Why the change, preacher? Because the Bible makes it clear that peace is not questionable in the hands of Christ Jesus. Instead, peace is certain in Jesus Christ. I can remove the question marks in Jesus Christ. Put a period there. Put an exclamation point there. Seriously pursue peace. It is for us and we might as well possess it. The Apostle Paul reminded the Roman church about their source of peace. In Romans 14, 17, he said, The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In Romans 15, 13, Paul went on to explain, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus provided peace to all humanity. That peace lives within us by the Holy Spirit. I preached this afternoon happily and joyfully that if anyone here has yet to receive the peace of Christ, if you've yet to be filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit, I tell you today that is priority one for any human being who wants the peace that Christ has provided. If you've not yet received the Spirit, I'll tell you quickly. The Holy Spirit follows some simple things. Number one, it follows desire. 
Holy Spirit, He doesn't force Himself into anyone's life. There's got to be a desire that says, yes, I want Him. The Holy Spirit follows repentance. Not merely forgiveness and desire for faults made, but repentance says, you know what? I've been going my way with things. Now I'm going Christ's way with things. The Spirit follows repentance. The Spirit follows worship as we've experienced in this atmosphere today, declaring our own understanding of God's greatness and our desire for Him. Worship is in my spirit, in my mind, in my words and understanding. When everything I know about God, I start saying back to Him. I I realize You are wonderful. I I recognize Your compassion. I I feel the impulse of Your mercy toward me. I believe that You love me even when I can't love myself. Those are words of worship. When I declare back to Him, my understanding of Him. And the fourth thing that the Holy Spirit follows is surrender. As the Holy Spirit fills this, there is clear evidence. No recipient of the Spirit needs to doubt it's been received. The Bible teaches that the Spirit will speak through us when we receive it, giving us words of worship. Here's the catch in another language. As I am worshiping Him and saying how much I love Him, how worthy He is, how incredible He is, how wonderful He is, how thankful I am to feel His presence, I'll begin to feel the Spirit of God stirring me. I'll begin to feel God's presence and not really be able to explain it. It doesn't compare to anything else in humanity. And as I begin to feel that, there's something about it. I find it hard to keep speaking English. I find it hard to keep saying hallelujah or I love you Jesus. I find it difficult and what that means is the Spirit as it starts to fill me wants to give me that evidence. He's got some words to put within my mouth. I might sound foolish preacher, no worries. None of us speak the language language God's going to give you anyway and it's a words of worship whether it's a known tongue on this planet or a heavenly language it is a witness of God's power in us evidenced and I've got to surrender to it first element of my can I know peace is there peace for me the answer is yes and that first engagement is in receiving the Holy Spirit and if you're here today and you haven't received it would you grab hold of desire and repentance and worship and surrender and everyone ought to know Christ's peace for themselves Today, to those who have already received the Spirit, I want you to notice Jesus' words again. I go back to John 14 and verse 27 one more time. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. And then he says this in John 14, 27. Let not your heart 
be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Let. You see, even when we've received Jesus' promised peace, we're responsible to live in that peace. In 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Paul inspired the Corinthians this way as he was putting a bow on his second letter to the Corinth church. He says this in 13, 11, Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. They'd already received the Spirit. They had the evidence. They were filled. They had God's peace within them. Yet Paul said to them, live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Live in peace. You know how to have the God of peace with us, having received the Spirit, we have to live in that peace. I remind this audience of disciples today, peace is not changed in situations. Peace is in our Savior. And the Bible says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Peace is not in changing circumstance and situation. Peace is in the one who never changes. Peace is in the one who is always the same. So having found Jesus and received the Spirit, hear me today, we cannot be tricked into searching for peace in the same places their ordinary humans do. Before we found Christ, we sought peace. We knew we needed peace. We would go certain places. For each of us, it's probably different. But we, we sought for some solace. We sought to remove the pain. We, we sought to back away from the confusion. We sought some relief. Perhaps it was staying in a bedroom and locking the door. Perhaps it was doping ourselves up so much that our thoughts wouldn't work anymore. Perhaps we did attempt to take our lives. Perhaps we purchased and bought things and stocked up cupboards and put things in the garage that somehow there would be peace in possessions. Perhaps we gave ourselves over to being people pleasers and it took us down a road of being abused and overwhelmed and outdone by the people who would take advantage of us. You hear this preacher today as Paul toward the fall at Corinth live in peace having been filled with the spirit when situations are troubling don't go back to the human solutions for peace instead pursue the Savior anew instead bow our hands and feet down at the foot of the cross and yield ourselves to that power of the spirit again
Don't look anywhere else. Look to Him. I want us to stand all over this auditorium right now. And I'm asking everyone who would, would you humor the preacher? Would you close your eyes and slide your hands up into the air right now and just begin to worship God? In your own way, in your own words. Come on, not my words, your words. Would you begin to graciously call out to the Lord right now all over this atmosphere? Come on, men and women, young and old, new disciples, decades old disciples. Come on, reach out to the Lord in this house right now. You've been listening to the Living Faith Everett podcast series. Tune in next week for the next part of this series. Or join us online at livingfaithministries.church. In the Holy Ghost, you give me peace.